We thank you so much for being here today as we go into God's Word here on uh, The Battles Within. We uh, certainly appreciate all those out there who reach out to me during the week and say they uh, listen to our our messages and they um, learn a few things. I, I'm thankful that the Lord has given us this platform to be able to reach people with the gospel and to be able to share uh, from my learning of what I have, what I learned in the Word. And I assure you, I have to get into Word so that I can share with you something that I think God is showing me, and uh, that's what we are doing today. So before we get started in the Scripture, we want to make sure we uh, uh, begin with a word of prayer. So let's let's have a prayer. Lord, I'm so thankful for this opportunity we have that we can come to you through this medium we call the Internet and that we can share the gospel. I pray, Lord, now for all those who are listening now live and those, Lord, who will listen later that you would uh, help them to not think of the words that David Barber has to say, but think of the words, Lord, that you say in your word. Let your word reach out from the very pages and, and, and pierce their hearts and their minds and their souls so that they can glean some knowledge from you today. For, Lord, it matters not, again, what David Barber has to say, but what the word of God has to say. And how you speak to them through the reading and teaching of your word today. We again thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that we have. Help us, Lord, to push aside the things that would hinder us from learning so that we might be able to understand your word better. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay. So as we are going to be getting in today to um, Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah chapter 24, um, I mean, sorry, chapter 24, I keep saying 24, Isaiah chapter 29, Isaiah chapter 29, and uh, uh, the book of Isaiah we've covered before in several different, again, the writers of the lessons seem to be pot-shotty, almost shotgun style <laughs> uh, scripture, but today we're in Isaiah chapter 29, and we're going to study the last half of that chapter. Uh, but before we do, we need to talk just a little bit about the book of Isaiah. You know, the book of Isaiah, uh, really, it tells about the sovereignty of God throughout history. Uh, it tells that he is eternal with no beginning and no end. Uh, the book of Isaiah talks about that he's all-powerful, that he's not limited to mankind. And it also tells us that he's all-knowing because he can tell you about the past, he can talk to you about the present, and he can talk to you about the future, and none of that is a surprise to him. I've always said it this way. You can never surprise God. Never. No matter what you do, it's not a surprise to God because God knew what you were going to do before you did it. But you certainly can disappoint him. See, because God wants us to do the right thing. God provides us the opportunities to do the right thing. God tells us what the right thing is, and God convicts us of our sins to get us to do the right thing. So God certainly wants us to do the right thing. And when we don't do it, we disappoint Him. We don't surprise Him, but we disappoint Him. So the book of Isaiah is definitely a book about the sovereignty of God throughout history. Um, there's also uh, uh, a 
a conflict that we see throughout the book of Isaiah. Uh, there's a conflict between the false gods of the nations and around Israel, and then there's the God of Israel. You know, the fake gods, these were these gods, and when people taught about their gods, they talked about them that they were born, they had a birth, they had a they lived, and they died. This is the celestial beings up in heaven, you know, uh, the gods. Um, the, the gods in heaven for them had human characteristics. You know, they were good and they were evil. Um, the real God in history, uh, real God controls history. You understand? The real God can control history. Why? Because since he knows man, and he knows the thoughts before they were born, he can mold history to his will without forcing his will on individuals. Let me say it again. God can mold his will into history so that it achieves his objective without forcing his will on an individual. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going to do. Placing you in a certain place at a certain time allows him to do things. He knows who you are. He knows how to do things. Uh, God promises blessings to nations that trust him and serve him. Psalms 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But God also promises wrath to the nations that reject his sovereign power. Psalms 9, 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. See, God had allowed these heathen nations to punish Israel because of Israel's rejection and adulterous lifestyle. And this included Assyria. Now, let's talk just a moment about Assyria, because Assyria was actually the, the main power during Isaiah's reign, during Isaiah's tenure. Assyria was founded in Mesopotamia around 1750 B.C. 1750 B.C. They began their military expansion around 1100 B.C. That's 650 years later. You always say America's a baby nation. And there's been nations that are more powerful than America in the world who came and went, who lived, who are a lot longer than America is. America's crumbling because of their immorality. America, yeah, people say, well, America will never, will never fall. Nations more powerful than, than in their day, more powerful than America has fallen, and they fell because of leaders denying God. Anyway, I digress. During his tenure, Assyria was the sole power. That was from seven, uh, Isaiah's tenure was from 740 to 680 B.C. So now we're looking at a nation that was over a thousand years old, the nation of Assyria. Again, what's America? 250? Um, and we see we're not the nation we used to be. Now, does America have issues? We've always had issues. But the deal was America had the ability to correct itself. That's what makes America great, was the fact that it had the ability to recognize our failures and correct them. 
uh, not living on the sins of the past, but correcting our sins of the past so that we can move forward. Anyway, I digress again. Assyria now, being a great nation, being a military power, coveted the nation of Egypt because Egypt was the other great power in their day. So really it was very much Assyria and Egypt. Now, of course, you had the nation of Israel who came and went during that time period because they rejected God. Uh, but Assyria desired Egypt. And so therefore, Assyria would go through the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel often as they went to try to fight battles against Egypt. Now remember, Israel had amassed a great amount of wealth during King Solomon's time. They lost most of that wealth over the years because they would, interesting enough, they would align themselves to Assyria to protect them from Egypt. And they would pay Assyria money to do that. And then they would then align themselves later on with Egypt to protect themselves against Assyria. And they would give them money. And so over time, Israel lost all of its wealth. They gave it away to others. Or they were conquered and they were taken. We know in the end, the Babylonians came and burned the temple. And they burned the temple because there was gold gates. And burning the temple allowed the gold to melt so they could get the gold off the, off the temple walls and doors and gates. Um, so in Isaiah had what's called woe sermons. Uh, during Hezekiah's reign, and Hezekiah was a godly king, from 724 to 695 B.C., Isaiah preached five woe sermons. And in those sermons, he warned about the entanglement between these heathen nations, between aligning, trusting in Assyria and trusting in Egypt to protect you instead of trusting in God. See, it's just trusting in God to be your protector. They trusted in these heathen nations. You can find this, and these five woe sermons are found in, in Isaiah 28, 1, 29, 1, 31, 31, 1, and 33, 1. So this is obviously one of the days, the latter part of the second woe sermon. Now, these sermons did the following. One, they established the rationale behind God's judgment. Isaiah was giving them the reason why God was going to judge Israel. But the second thing it did, interesting enough, is he these sermons also provided hope that someday God would restore the nation after the predicted fall. So yes, this is why you're going to fall, but one day God is going to restore you once you turn your face back to Him. So leading into today's lesson, in the first part of chapter 29, we see a sad observation regarding the ignorance of God's Word. You know, what can we say today? How many people read their Bibles? And are you reading your Bible just for the sake of reading, or are you reading to understand? It's better that you read one verse a day and understand that verse and apply that verse than read your Bible through in a year. I know I've done, I've read my Bible through a year several times. And what I find myself doing is hurrying through to meet a tick mark and not meditating on the Word. So I've changed my reading style. I try to read passages 
a day. I try to read certain passages. I've done. I've read the book of John through in a month, number of times. I've done that, and I read. Then what I do is I'll end up reading it the same book three or four months in a row, so that I make sure I didn't miss anything. See, there's nothing that requires me to get through the book of the Bible in a year. What requires me is that I study God's word. Anyway, sad observance was that these people were were reading the word but not applying the word or even understanding the word or even trusting the word. Isaiah 29, 1 through 12, he presents a frightening picture of the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem. And by the way, in that passage, it actually calls the Jerusalem is called Ariel, but it's really, uh, it is Jerusalem. It's also a term used for that. The people think that their city is safe. The people of Israel think their city is safe and that the cycle of annual festivals will go on indefinitely, that they'll just keep going. Easter and Christmas. How many people think Easter and Christmas uh, uh, services will go on forever in America? They won't. They will not go on forever. It's sad that they wait to Easter and, and, and Christmas to come, but this is what the Jews thought. They thought that these festivals, they just these had these annual events and they'll just keep going and everything's going on and they weren't worried their city is safe. And suddenly they find their lives were threatened by this terrible siege. The people were distressed and humiliated throughout the city. The doomed city cries out to God as if it was from the grave. This is in verses 1 through 4. Now, the enemy armies think that their conquest of Jerusalem is inevitable. Right? They think they've got them surrounded. They think it's inevitable. But the people cry out to God. And when they cry out to God, God intervenes and miraculously saves the city. Read it for yourself. and in, in, You can read that in Kings. God miraculously saves the city. The enemies were disappointed and um, it's like a distress. It's like a person who's dreaming a dream and you wake up and it's not a dream. It was a dream. You know, you're thinking, oh, this is wonderful. This is marvelous. And then you wake up from that dream and say, oh, sheep. <laughs> that was just a dream. That wasn't reality. See, that's verses 5 through 8 of this first chapter, of this chapter 29. Then, as usual, the people of Judah... They don't respond to Isaiah's prophecy. I mean, they're morally dull and spiritually blind. Seems they have no ability to understand God at all or God's message. And so in verses 9 through 12, it looks, they say that the, Isaiah says to them, they're like a book that remains closed. The prophecy is like a book that remains closed. I just got a new book, by the way. I'll get a little plug on this one. I've got a new book. Revelation of Jesus Christ, Dr. Bruce Barnes. Um, this is a, he's a good friend of mine. I'll show you a picture on the back. He's a good friend of mine. He uh, uh, he actually uh, uh, grew up here in Smithfield. Um, he actually worked in Sylvania. He went to West Calvary uh, over here in West, Smith, West Smithfield. But he's a, he, he's a great man of God. He wrote this book. He wrote several books, but I'm reading this book right now. But my point is, if I don't open the book and read it, it doesn't do me any good. It just sits on the shelf. Uh, so this is the way it was. that These people, the writings and all, to them was if they had never read the book. And so now today we get to today's lesson. 
This lesson today, let me tell you, is specifically written to the nation of Israel. However, you know, you must remember that God used the nation of Israel as an example for all the other nations to follow. See, we'll see that a little in Scripture that I'll show you that, but but he gave, he demonstrated on Israel what he would do to all nations. All nations that would serve him, he will bless. And all nations that curse him or reject him, he will his, his wrath will be upon them. God gave the same opportunities to all of us, you understand. Because the Bible tells us God is not a respecter of person. So we see the way God is going to deal with the nation of Israel. This is the way God will deal with any nation that's in the same situation that Israel was in. So now let's look at verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, as For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouths, with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. So he says, Wherefore the Lord said, Even though the people were just rescued by God from this terrible siege, they still did not believe in God. Uh, the judgment of God would be poured out upon them because they still, even though God rescued them, they still rejected him. It says then, for as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lip do honor me. See, these people were coming to church or the temple in their day. They were coming to church. They would sing the songs, church songs. Couldn't even be singing hymns, which we don't do much in church anymore. But they could have been singing hymns. Uh, they may have even testified so that others could see them as holy. 2 Timothy 3, 5-7 says it well. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort of they which creep into houses, and leave captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These were that type of people. This is where they were. For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth, they proclaim to know God, but know them not. It says they have removed their hearts far from me. Their religion is not sincere. Sure, they still sing the old songs. They repeat the terminology of worshiping God. You know, but their hearts are simply not in it at all. If you're going to church today and you sit in your pew and you go through, you have your Bible, and you read your Bible, but you don't allow God to speak to you. You don't worship Him. And worshiping is not necessarily raising your hand and, and, and you know, saying amen and all. And there's nothing wrong with that either. I'm not criticizing that. But I'm saying if that's all you're doing for an outward show, you're worshiping God with your mouth, but not with your heart. And that's what these were doing. They were going all kinds of outward signs. You see... We see this type of worship that they were having in our community today. Question is, is it in your church? Do you speak of him without worshiping him? Their religion became something, a mere formality. They were going to church because it was time to go to church. But they weren't worshiping God at all. And the last part of that verse says, is taught by the precepts of men. 
This described a situation in which religious leaders had usurped the place of God. It's when religious leaders are telling you what the Bible says instead of you reading the Bible. When they're telling you what the Bible says is not true. Perfect example. The death penalty. Many churches today are saying, no, 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 the Bible teaches against death penalty. It does not. The Bible tells us that whosoever sheddeth blood by man, his blood shall be required. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood by man, his blood shall be required. That's a statement of fact. David Barber does not have the right to choose what I'll think about that. People say, what do you think about that penalty? I don't have a thought. The Bible says that whosoever sheddeth man's blood by man, his blood shall be required. That settles it for me. Abortion, women's right to choose. Hold on. The Bible says, Woe unto him who shed innocent blood. You cannot have any more innocent blood than an unborn child. I don't have a choice about abortion. Abortion is sin. I can't have anything to do with it. I don't have a choice. I don't get to pick and choose. I can't stand. These people who stand in their pulpit and preach these things are false. They're heresy. And God will judge them. Here's the same problem the Jews were having. They are taught by the precepts of men. Uh, even morality is determined and founded upon human opinion rather than upon the Word of God. It's not what's right by men's eyes, it's what's right by God's eyes. This is always results in a condition where men dispute and contradict one another. Where your word is as good as my word, then there's no word at all from God. See, it's not my word that matters, it's God's words that matter. We need to get into God's Word. We need to study God's Word. We need to apply God's Word. These people were not doing that. They weren't doing it. It says, For as much as people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. They're worshiping men. They're following men because men have itchy ears. They're telling them the things they want to know. We talked before about the yellow gospel. The yellow gospel because people don't want to preach the word of God anymore. About the blood. Because the blood is gruesome. And people don't want to hear about the blood anymore. Because it's, it's not convenient. They don't want to hear about that. And so therefore they led the precepts of men. I uh, Let's go to verse 14. Therefore behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people. Even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be, dis shall be hid. It says, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among those people. Therefore, what does that mean? Therefore, because they have worshipped me with their lips and provided lip service and have followed me and not me, because of that, he says, I will do a marvelous work. Because of their hypocrisy and formality, because of their regard to men over regarding me, because of their doctrines and their commandments, and will not do the will and the word of God, therefore, he determines. I'm going to deal marvelously with this people. Now, normally we think marvelous is a good thing. But marvelous because of Jehovah acts is contrary to expectation. It's marvelous because it's, it's unusual. What God is about to do is not something that you would think God would do. That's why the word marvelous towards, because he's going to do something against his people. His people that he loves. Sometimes we as parents have to do things to our children that 
is not what we would like to do. You can't be their friend. You need to be their parent. Now, people say, my best, my, my dad is my best friend. I've heard people say that. Well, you know what? My best friend is my wife. But we say, oh, my best friend is my parent. You know what? I mean, my, my parent. Let me tell you. Parents must parent. That's the problems we have. You know, we want to be liked, but we need to be respected. You know, because if people don't like you as a parent because you're doing what you're supposed to do, because you're disciplining your children, and your children don't like you because you're disciplining them, they didn't like God because God disciplined them. But there he says, I have to do a marvelous work. Even a marvelous work and wonder. What God was about to do to his people would be unexpected by anyone. Anyone who knew God's plan for this nation and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, this would be a matter of astonishment to everyone that observed it. They would marvel at what happened. It says, For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. God's men preached the word and wrote the prophecy as God had communicated it. The people did not read the word. The people did not listen to the word. The people viewed the word of God as if it was simply the words of anyone else. It's just writing in a book. Now, again, I love my friend Bruce Barnes. But his words are his words. And I'll read his words. But his words are based upon what God's word says. So I glean from what God's word said. But it's God's word that's important in this book. And he would tell you the same thing. Uh, uh, his words, he provides us information to help us better understand his word. But these people, they did not view it that way. These wise men and prophets became seen as the people, as ordinary people. Ordinary people. I was looking to see if I have a book up here that's just a regular book. I don't have one right, easily reachable. But the point is, there's a difference between this book here. You understand? This book here, I'll get it right here. This book here, the Bible. God's holy word, there's a difference in that and any other book. Any other book. But these people viewed it as just a book. Do you have Bibles in your library that just sits on the shelf? Um, anyway, I digress again. This is the past tense message in what the nation was doing. It was telling about what the nation was, had done. The nation had rejected God. But it was also telling about the future. It was telling that the loss of this nation would go into exile and be put under heathen princes who would destroy their best things, would take away their wisdom and their books and kill their wise men, resulting in the people as a whole becoming ignorant and unlearned. We know this is true because when Hezekiah and Ezra, I mean when Ezra and Nehemiah had to come back, they had to reestablish the kingdom worship, the worship of the altars, because they had lost it all, because of their sin, because this is the prophecy that God had prophesied here from Isaiah. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. They had to find it. Um, verse 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord and their work in the dark. And they say, who seeth us and who knoweth us? Woe to them that seek deep to hide their counsel. 
Isaiah again sends a warning to those wicked and profane despisers of God whom he formerly called scorners, who think they have no other way of being wise than being skillful in mocking God. We have people today that think it's wise to mock God. Watch the news. All the news people are mocking God. They're only telling you partial truths. They're telling the story they want you to hear, leading you astray. These people think they can do that. They regard religion as foolish simplicity and hide in their own wisdom. Right? They're making, think about it. If you watch the news today, it makes Christians look like they're foolish people. That they're hate mongers because they won't tolerate sin. That the world is not okay to do anything you want to do. It's not okay. Perversion is perversion. Sin is sin. A man is a man, a woman is a woman. We see that today. We're not allowed, we're not allowed to teach children that they're a male and a female. What, what it gives with that? See, the world is about perversion. And they regard religion as being that we are, we are, we are punishing children because we won't give them the right to choose whether they're male or female. What in the world? I'm just saying. These people, they carry two faces under a hood. Uh, these people did, desiring to deceive the world as they were possible, and God himself also with their pretenses and their profession. They pretend these false religious leaders who are agreeing and going along with these things are pretending to follow God, but we know they are not. They are children of the evil one. If your preacher today is not preaching the truth of the gospel from the word of God, and are trying to do some type of social yellow gospel today, get out of that church or get rid of the preacher. Kick him out. Purge your church of that evil way or you're just as bad as you're going to experience the same problem these Jews did. Isaiah said the result called them diggers as they dug for themselves concealment and lurking places and used them that they might deceive God. You know, this was the same type of people that was true in Christ's day. Evil men consulted against Christ to take away his life, to persecute his disciples, to hinder the spread of the gospel. Though they did this in private, and they formed these schemes, and, and they imagined that they were not observed by God, yet God sits in heaven, saw them, and laughed at their vain imaginations. You're doing exactly what I needed you to do. I knew you were going to do that. I prepared. Again, God prepares for history, but allows you the free will to do the things that you do. It says, And their work are in dark, in the dark night, as if darkness could conceal them from the all-seeing eye of God. Truly, works of darkness cannot be hidden. Though they fall, they uh, though they flatter themselves that they will, you know, people think that they can get away with these things. They've done these deeds out of the sight of men, but not out of the sight of God. Psalms eighty, Psalms ninety-eight says, "Thou hast set our iniquities before thee; our secret sin is in the light of thy countenance." Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, 
but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Do not think that you can sin in secrecy. I always said it this way. God sees you when you're naked. This verse says that. God sees you when you're naked. You can't hide from God. David said, if I ascend to the highest heaven, thou art there. If I descend into the lowest hell, thou art there. You can't go anywhere that God cannot see you. You cannot sin in secret. And they said, who seeth us and who knoweth us? They imagined no man could see what they're doing. And so they felt God couldn't see them either. They could do these evil deeds behind the scene, but God sees it all. Verse 16. Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. So here you are perverting. He's talking to these people. You're perverting things in a way that makes it look like a potter is the clay and the clay is the potter. I mean... You know, you're perverting things. You're trying to make it, it's kind of like saying that you think that that man can control God instead of God controlling man. That man can set out his own destiny instead of God determining man's destiny. See, men were preordained from the beginning of the world, predestined from the beginning of the world. Before the foundations of the world was laid, Christ died for us. His death was already predestined to die before the first soul ever took a breath because God knew what it was going to take when he created man from the beginning. You can't, you can't surprise God. And so God created man knowing the sacrifice of his son. See, man did not determine his destiny God determined his destiny based upon his actions. Do you accept Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins and you go to heaven? That was predestined before the foundation of the world. If you reject Christ, it's predestined from the world that you go to hell. Predestined from the world. Those who reject Christ will go to hell and those who accept him will go to heaven. That's predestiny. But see, the man thinks that they can turn it around, that they can control their destiny. Today we call humanism, right? That man is in control, that man is God. But God is in control. He always is in control. His will will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Next verse says, next thing says, For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? Paul used this phrase in Romans 9, 20 and 21. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Paul said exactly the same thing. He was quoting or he was paraphrasing or he was using this passage of scripture in his thought. The potter is not the clay and the clay is not the potter. Folks, God determines this world. Verse 17. Is it not yet a little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into fruit trees, and a fruit field shall be esteemed as a forest? Now, this is a metaphor. A metaphor because it's an example, right? You not see a fruit tree in a forest, do you? You don't see fruit trees growing in a forest. And you don't see a forest of fruit trees. You just don't see that. 
To change either would take a lot of time. Could you have a force of fruit trees? I guess it's possible, but it would take a long, long time. Um, Isaiah is saying here that God will turn the forest into a fruitful tree, meaning Israel would have to go through a major transition. God would do it eventually. He's saying, listen, not a little while. It's going to take a while, but we're going to see that the forest, that the Israel, the nation of Israel will be turned into fruitful field. And this fruitful field that you create will become a forest. It will outgrow. It will grow into becoming a very fruitful forest. Remember, we're supposed to be fruitful Christians. That's what you're referring to here. That we will eventually, the nation of Israel will eventually be a leader in the church again and will be leading souls to Christ. This is a promise to the nation of Israel's restoration. But it's not going to come easy, he says. But it will not a little while. Verse 18. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind see out of obscurity and out of darkness. They who now have the law and do not understand it, and the people who seem to be deaf to all that God says, shall hear it and understand it. You know, the nation of Israel doesn't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior as a whole. But one day they will. Today they don't see the writing in the Word, and they don't hear the truths. But God says one day they will. And the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Darkness being removed, they shall see clearly the truth of God and discern and love is beauty. Their eyes are now blinded, but then they shall see clearly. God has a promise to the nation of Israel. You know, this is also true of us Gentiles. See, the church turned to us as we as Gentiles became leaders of the gospel and the nation of Israel became blind. We who were blind <laughs> were able to see. We were the heathen, those that were lost in, in idolatry. Our nations became nations that followed Christ. America was a nation that followed Christ. We're still a strong nation. We still have a large following of those who truly believe, but it has been eroded over the years. Verse 19. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One. The meek. You know, meek usually refers to those who are patient reception of injury. They meek. They they get they can be they can be easily hurt. They're meek. They're not those aggressors. The meek. The Hebrew word here means properly oppress the afflicted, the unhappy, the meek. It involves using the idea of humility, you know, virtuous sufferings, the meek. You know, Jesus was meek in the eyes. He could have, he could have called 10,000 legions of angels to rescue him, but yeah, he sat there and took the slapping of the face, the pulling of his beard, the piercing of the crown on his head, the crucifixion on the cross, the mockery. Christ could have done all that, but he was as meek as a lamb before the slaughter. Uh, they shall also increase their joy in the Lord. Increase means margin. You know, increase, this they're talking about increase, margin. That means like if you invested something and it will grow. 
In the Hebrew, it should be they will greatly rejoice. Their margin, their increase, their joy will grow great. Their margin, their storage, their savings of the of, of this worshiping of God, this will grow. They should see the evidence of the fulfillment of his prediction. They should see the oppressors punished. They should see Yahweh coming forth to be their protector and defender. They shall see increase their joy in the Lord, it says. And the poor among the people shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The poor people or the needy. The idea is that the, the religious people, the truly religious people who fear God and who've been, to object, been uh, subjected to trials of oppression and poverty, they will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. This is God. This is Jesus. They will rejoice. Verse 20. For the terrible one is brought to naught, the violent one, the oppressor, those who exercise cruelty over them, those haughty among the Jews uh, who held powerful offices, who abuse them and oppress the poor, they will get their comeuppance, you could say. And the scorners, the leaders who mock those who suffered for the name of the Lord, is consumed. They shall be entirely destroyed. And all that watch for the iniquity are cut off. Those who anxiously seek for opportunities to commit iniquity will be cut off. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when those who seek this perversion in our land will be cut off. God will not be mocked. Verse 21 that make a man an offender for a word. They're talking about these leaders. That make a man offender for the word. Those, These were those who treated, who proclaimed the truth of God's word. The true prophets. That make a man an offender for a word. These were people who defended the word. They were preachers of the word. They were men and women who preached the word. Who proclaimed the truth who yelled it in the streets, who talked to their neighbors. He says, they're going to take these people and they lay a snare for him and to reprove him in the gate. They seek ways to condemn those that proclaim the word of God, telling people of their sin, reproof in the gate. There's today, there's people out there today that would shut down the churches of God today who proclaim the truth of God because they call us hate mongers because we talk about sin. Listen, we're all sinners. None righteous, no, not one. We should welcome everyone in our church, regardless who they are, so they can hear the gospel and come to knowledge of Jesus Christ. Don't think above ourselves better. I always say this. We all have demons that we must face every day. And how am I to judge someone else for their demons? But I will say I will stand against them when they proclaim that this is okay. It is not okay. You have sin in your life just like I have sin in my life. I ask Jesus to forgive me for my sin, and I know He has cleansed me of all unrighteousness because I ask Him to forgive me for my sins. Past, present, and future. He can do that for you too. But I'm not going to tolerate your sin. I'm not going to condone your sin. Sin is sin. These people here were defenders of the truth. And because of that, He said they laid a snare for them. The gates of the city were the places of commerce. Open out in the open, you could say. Uh, they endeavor to pervert justice. 
to bring the man who had a cause before them completely within their power so that they might use him for their own purposes. At the same time, they did so in a way that seemed to be deciding the cause justly. They bring righteous people before them and they pervert it to make it look like what they did was wrong and what we did was right. We see that today, don't we? We see that we have a Christian organization that defends the right to do what's right and we see the government going after them or these liberal organizations going after them because they defend the cause of Christ and say, we're not going to do that in our organization. We're not going to do it. We're just not going to do it. So they go after them with lawsuits and the judge rules in the favor of this perversion. This is what we're seeing here. It says, and turn aside the just for the thing of naught, the man who is just or righteous. These men will be declared as empty, vain, and should be regarded as null and void. They ridiculed these people. They discredit us. That's what was happening in those days. Today in America, we see things we all know are wrong and guilty go free. We again see where the just causes are brought to the courts and the guilty are released as innocent. Verse 22, Therefore saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham, as God redeemed Abraham from the idolaters and workers of iniquity, he says, so will he redeem those who hear the word of the book and are humble before him. This is a promise to the nation of Israel, but it's also a promise to us. If we are redeemed, thus saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, the house of Jacob, Jacob shall now not be ashamed God is going to renew Jacob. Just as Jacob may have been ashamed of the, of the sins of Israel, one day his shame will be taken away because they will stand up for the cause of Christ. Oh, that our forefathers in our churches today, if they look down upon some of these churches, their faces will be red in shame for what the churches have become. Francis Asbury is one example of the Methodist churches that he, Matt Francis Asbury, no doubt, if he were to look down today, would roll over because of the sins that are going on among his people and the cause that he proclaimed. But same is true for Jacob. Jacob would look down at the nation of Israel and saw this, but one day, it says, he will be turned, his cheeks will be turned away from shame. Neither shall his face now wax pale. Disappointment may produce paleness as well as fear, the idea is there that Jacob will no more be pale. Verse 23, But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands, in the midst of him they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One. The senses he shall not be ashamed of his sons, he shall see them. He said the work of his hands. God will see when, you, when Jacob sees the work that God is doing among the nations of Israel. He will be proud of his people. For they are serving God. It says they will sanctify my name, meaning either the spiritual seed of Jacob or those regenerated ones, the nations that shall be born at once. They shall sanctify my name. These shall sanctify the name of the Lord, but not by making, but by one declaring him to be holy. They'll sanctify his name by believing in his name, by seeking him for righteousness and holiness, by embracing his doctrine, by submitting to his ordinance. You know what? God can do the same for us today and our churches today if we do the same thing that God said that Israel will do. And sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, 
reverence his name, and sanctify his sanctuaries. Verse 24, they also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that mourn shall learn doctrine. These people, the nation of Israel that erred in the past, will one day come to embrace the truth of God. These same people that taught against Jesus being the Messiah will learn the doctrine and will embrace it also. God gives a promise to the nation of Israel that one day they will once again be the leaders of the cause of Christ. The nation of Israel rejected God by paying lip service to his worship. God knows the difference. Because of their fake worship, God had had enough and the nation of Israel had to be taught a lesson. Along with that lesson, God promised them that he would restore them after the lesson was learned. America needs to be taught that lesson today, folks. Our churches are doing exactly what these people did. They're preaching the Word of God, but not the Word of God, um, if you know what I mean. They're playing lip service while serving other gods. Our God will not be mocked. America needs to turn or face the same action that God did to His people for their sins. We need to turn to God today. Remember, you don't sin in secret. God knows everything. I pray today that your churches would get into the Word. If your preacher is not preaching the Word of God, get rid of him. If your church is not going to get rid of him, then get out. Get out. Run. Quickly. Run. Run fast. Run far. Run as quick as you can to a Bible-preaching church. That's what you need today. I pray that for you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this message. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we can see. Thank you, Lord, that Israel will be restored one day. The hope is there. We know it. We know the promises is true. We know you control history. We know, Lord, that it will happen. But, Lord, we also know America is falling. We know America is straying away. But worse than that, we know the churches are doing the same. Lord, we know we can't trust the lost. But what about the saved? I don't understand why Christian churches today, Lord, are tolerating sin among them. Why, Lord, they're allowing the worldliness to creep in. I pray, Lord, that you renew those who would truly follow. Get a remnant, Lord, back together for you. I thank you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I thank you for your time and for your attention today. This was a, uh, another difficult lesson today, but I do thank you. And I pray that uh, you would... Get in God's Word. Don't play lip service, but be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only, as James says. Thank you for your time.